Welcome here this morning. I want us to begin today by thinking of teens. Not teens that you're a fan of. Like I know most of you probably thought to the perfect hockey team in your mind just at that moment when I mentioned it, the Toronto Maple Leafs, but I'm going to try to bring you back from that. But rather, I want you to think of a team maybe you've been a part of. I'm going to describe a team for you now. I came across them a few years ago. Some of you will know them. Some of you may not. So there'll be a few pictures on the screens um, to help you as I describe. The first likes to be called Star-Lord, but everyone actually knows him as Peter Quill. He's an orphan child, part of a group of people that are extremely self-centered. The second person in this team is an adopted daughter who was trained to be a warrior, but adopted into a royal family. Her name is Gamora. Then there's an outcast bounty hunter who has a tough act on the outside, but truly on the inside feels mistreated for who he is. He's also a raccoon, and his name is Rocket. There's also a quite friendly giant, so to speak, basically a massive tree, a massive tree that's not super communicative. He can say about three words for most of the movie, and near the end, he learns about a fourth one. And so his name is Groot. And there's a fifth part, Dax, Drax the, the Destroyer. The name kind of speaks for itself. He's a big, muscular brute. He's kind of typecasted in that. They're all extremely different in how they interact with each other. Some are high class, some are royalty, some are middle class, some are the bottom of the barrel. Yet they all come together to form a team. They become a unit that's stronger because of all those differences that they hold. One that by the end of the movie and moving forward in the series is able to save the world. Part of forming a team sometimes comes in a crucible. They're kind of put in theirs at the beginning of the movie. They have to escape from prison. Now they don't know each other that well and they basically don't like each other at all. Yet they're able to use their differences and escape this prison together. Now that's not the goal or the point of my sermon today, it's to talk about escaping as a team. But the point I want us to lean into is the differences. That they all had a role to play. And if we were to watch the rest of the movie, the differences don't actually disappear. They actually come up again and cause some issues caused them almost to lose everything. Almost. Up to this point in the book of Philippians, we've been there for about a month now, we haven't really looked at what the church in Philippi actually looked like. And like the Guardians of the Galaxy, the congregation there is not all the same. So these are a few things that we know for sure about the congregation of Philippi. Philippi is a city, a central hub in Macedonia. It was a very diverse city, a church that Paul began and then left. Some of the people that were there, Lydia, a wealthy merchant. Somebody else that was part of that congregation, a jailer and his family. Others that we know were part of it were slave girls. Already we have three very diverse people groups that are a part of this one church. And not unlike the Guardians of the Galaxy, these differences 
aren't always something that is embraced. These people are likely meeting in Lydia's house because it would have been the biggest house. She was a wealthy merchant. These differences don't disappear. And as we see today, Paul issues a caution to them because of that. This morning, we're actually looking at six verses in Philippians 2, a section the ESV gives us the added header of lights in the world. Paul begins this section with a key word. It doesn't seem that key. It's therefore. Now, this is likely not the first time somebody has brought this up to you, but it's worth repeating. When we see a therefore, we need to stop and think what came before the therefore so that we know what the therefore is there for. So what did come before verse 12 in chapter 2? For those of us joining today, a little recap of what Paul has already taught to the Philippians is this. He's extended a thank you. He also writes to provide encouragement to them through the tough times. He shares some of his tough times with them, not to build himself up or to build up his ministry, but to show the greatness of the message that he's carrying, that he's willing to suffer for it. A message that is led by love and embraces those possible sufferings, however they may come. Paul's message thus far also has been built on the humility of Christ that needs to be present in the people proclaiming that good news. So that brings us to our therefore in verse 12. It is here to draw our attention back to those previous verses that speak of the humility of Christ. Verses 1 through 11 in chapter 2. They outline what Christ gave up when he entered the world in human form. And in verse 6 we read, We though, who though, he, Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus was the one who actually could make this claim. We often want to make this claim in our own lives that we are our gods of our own lives. But what does Jesus actually do here instead? We see in verse 7 what he actually does. But Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Did Jesus come and fulfill what men have been trying to do for years? No. Did he come and try to take over land? Did he come and try to build a kingdom on earth? Yes, but not the same way that others have tried before him. He comes for what is proclaimed in verse 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the reason Paul puts a therefore at the beginning of verse 12. So that us as the readers and the Philippians as the readers don't move on too quickly from this point. The humility and the sacrifice of Christ is necessary to understand what Paul is going to proclaim next. And that humility and sacrifice is what we need to emulate. The proclamation that Paul is making to the followers in Philippi, one that is going to give us three main takeaways for today that truly do apply to us here amongst our COVID crisis. That we can grow closer together amongst social distancing, closer to God amongst restrictions, and grow the kingdom of God. So the first thing Paul calls us to today 
is to own it. Verses 12 through 13 read as follows. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them with me. You can also look at your phone. There's probably an app on there that you have your Bible on. Feel free to open it up to that. I'm reading from the ESV this morning. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Have you ever been part of a team? Whatever the team is, whether it plays music, so a band, or perhaps it's a dance team. Maybe you've been part of a ballet. Or maybe your team analogy is a sports team. That's the one that typically works for me. On a sports team, there are individual players. And here's an example of one great basketball player in our world today. His name's Lou Williams. He was born in Memphis, Tennessee. Williams played for Snellville South Gwinnett High School. It's a mouthful. Under coach Roger Fleetwood, where he was named not once, not twice, not three times, but four-time All-State selection in Georgia. He was also named Mr. Basketball there as a junior and as a senior in high school. As a junior, Williams led his high school to the state championship. At the end of his senior year, he was named the Naismith Prep Player of the Year. Naismith is touted as the father of basketball. This is a huge honor. And he was a McDonald's All-American, another huge honor. And he was a first team parade All-American. Lou Williams also participated in some big things in high school. The Nike Hoop Summit and the Jordan Brand Classic. Two big names in basketball. Those are big events for any high school player to play in. Considered a five-star recruit. He was listed as the number three in the whole nation at his position and number seven in the nation total in 2005. Williams and his teammate Mike Mercer declared and committed to go to the University of Georgia, but he, Williams, actually ended up being drafted into the NBA straight out of high school. Finished his career in high school, second all-time in all of Georgia basketball. He was a great player. Still is. Drafted out of high school, yet when he enters the NBA, he finds himself injured and playing the role of the sixth man. In basketball, there's only five on the court at one time, which means he's the guy that comes off the bench first, but still off the bench. But he's one of the best sixth men a team could ever ask for. And in order for him to be that best sixth man, he has to accept his new role. Not only do team members, whether it's basketball or a drummer in a rock band, need to accept their roles, they need to actually do their part for their team to progress. They need to own their role. And that's what Paul is calling the Philippians to here. They need to not only do their role when Paul is around, though. They need to do it when he's gone as well. You don't become the best sixth player in the NBA by only practicing when coaches are around. You need to practice and hit that gym in your own time as well. This speaks to our context today. We're unable to physically be together and interact a lot of the time. So you need to own 
your role as a Christian individually. Like it says in verse 12, work out your own salvation. Followers of Christ will struggle. Not being the star when you enter the NBA is not Lou Williams' dream. Being the sixth man was not probably what he wanted to be. He probably wanted to be the best at his position in the whole NBA. But he found himself being the first person off the bench. So followers of Christ in the same way will have struggles, but must continue to own their faith. We need to continue to own our faith. When we own something, we make the responsibility our own. We choose to study the word. We choose to pray at home. And we choose to tune into online services, even though that may not be our ideal. We own something also when we protect it and are willing to sacrifice for it. We can choose to not let this separation to cause us to slow in our growth as a congregation. We may need to work harder now to grow, though. That's a sacrifice. And we may need to be more self-motivated than ever before to read, to pray, and to listen. Continuing on in verses 12 and 13, we see this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is not the task, it is not the reading, it's not the praying that gives us our identity. Same thing for a player. They don't get their role from themselves. They get their role from their coach. And as Christians, we all have the same coach in the end, God. We need to be, in the end, drawing our ownership out of what we, not out of, not, not out of what we do, but from who we get it from. In order to own it, we must know who is giving it to us, and we must know that he, that God, does not give us anything we cannot handle if we continue to find our identity in him. So we own it. But part of owning it as a team and as a church body is never breaking. That's point two. Never break. Verses 14 through 15. Read. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Clearly, like the guardians of the galaxy from the beginning, the differences in the Philippian church do not go away once Paul is left. We need to lean into those differences and know that difference is not weakness. Difference creates depth, creates fullness. Picture a quartet singing. When all those different sounds are in sync, it's a beautiful blessing to all our ears. It's a full sound, it's got depth, it's amazing. But picture just one of those deciding that they think their role is better, that they want to sing a little louder, that maybe they get a little out of sync with somebody else to try to overshadow them. And all of a sudden, something that's beautiful and amazing is distasteful to the ear. It's twisted, it's crooked. And it may cause some to turn away and possibly even leave. Differences are not something new to Christianity. They're here right in the beginning. And we see in verse 15, the generations that the Philippians are dealing with are no different than what we may be experiencing today. 
crooked and twisted. This is not a new phenomenon. And as we journey through this different time, we all need to remember that the church has traveled through these times before. This is not a call to overreaction. This is not a call to create divide more and more. But if like the quartet, we try and do it our own way and don't lean into that team identity, then the church could become that place that causes people to turn away, to have a displeasing sound in their ears. But if we do the opposite, we can make something that is full of depth and fullness. Part of never breaking is embracing those differences, not letting them fester, calling them out so that we can become those children without blemish that are mentioned in verse 15. By knowing we are not the same and knowing that we are not called to play the same role, we are able to figure out how we personally can own our own faith and our lives first. How many of us have been 100% sure that we can pinpoint the role in somebody else's life before we even understood our own role? We need to be cautious that we do not become what Jesus warns us about when he talks about the plank and the speck. You may be easily able to point out, hey, you're not fulfilling your role. But you don't see the plank in your own eye and you haven't even recognized what your role is yet. We need to own our own unique role first. Figure that out. Understand our place in the body. And then we can be part of that team that never breaks, that leans into those differences, that fulfills each role uniquely so that we can be deeper, fuller, and greater as a team. So we own it, point one. We never break, point two. And Paul brings it together with a final point Expect results. We're called to expect results. Continuing on in verse 15 and through 17, we read, Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Thus far, I've used analogies of teams, quartets, to show that never breaking because of differences creates strength, and that owning your individual part will grow the end product of the team. I also have used the idea of a coach being the place where we get the role and in instruction. Right now, Paul is placing himself in that role for the Philippian church. He outlines how the coach's game plan works out. Players, verse 15b, shine as lights in the world. Own your faith. Coaches, continuing on in verse 16, this is what coaches do. They hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if he is to be poured out as an offering, for their faith does so gladly. Never breaks. He's part of the team. He's willing to sacrifice. Coaches, in the end, you're glad and rejoice with us all. He expects the results to be there. If you shine your light, 
you sacrifice and you never break, expect results to happen. Paul doesn't waver here. The results are given in the text without hesitation. He's rejoicing immediately after him being poured out as an offering for their faith. Shine your light. Never break. Even when hard times come, and the rejoicing with everyone will be the result that you can expect in the end. The result is not always what we have in mind, but that is not important. Our plan is not the plan that is important. God's is. The expectation that God will move amongst us if we own it, if we never break, that's the only result we need to expect. But that is the coach's game plan. And as team players, quartet singers, as the church, if we own it by making our faith our own, by taking responsibility for our own spiritual growth, by sacrificing what we normally would have done in a time that is different, if we never break by acknowledging our differences, by recognizing our strength lies in our differences, used together, by leaning into other people's skill sets in times when we want to go solo, by trusting our team, the church, to support us, if we expect results, by trusting our best effort was put forward, by trusting God with the rest, by trusting whatever happens next is what needs to happen. We can, as you may have picked out already, become one. Own it, O. Never break, N. Expect results, E. One church. We can become one church. This heading lights in the world. It's a plural thing. If we can follow this, if we can own it, if we can never break, and if we can expect results, we can become the singular light. One church, one light to the world. So that we can be like verse 18 says here. Likewise, likewise to the coach who ultimately is God. You, the one church, also should be glad like the coach that expected results in verse 17 and rejoice with him. Amen.